WPSC campus of William Patterson University. I am your professor, David Kirk Froop, along here with your doctor, Esteban Marconi. It's great to have you, Stephen Marconi. Well, thank you. This is the greatest night of my life right now so far. Really? And why is that? Having you here in this room, having Bianca Russo, our producer in the room. Right. I mean, Geneva Gamblin, our graduating MBA, yes. music management, awesome person in the room with us. Geneva Gamblin, say hi, Geneva. Hi, Geneva. We have an yeah. awesome guest. He's a president of not just one label. Uh, what have you done for me lately? One label's nothing. Anybody can be president of one label. Right. Can you be president of two, two labels? A two for a double play, double play Wednesday. Mike Easterlin. Thank you. Fueled and, by Ramen, Roadrunner Records. Okay. <clears throat> But there's more to it. Mike, we'll get to you in just a moment. Is that Perfect. all right? Yeah. Mike needs to rest. We, Mike was just here and spoke to, there were 50 kids. We had 50 uh, kids, music management majors, minors, Great. other interested people. We talked all about his, uh, the, the artist. He played a lot of music. We talked about the biz. Mm -hmm. um, we're going to go a little bit deeper here. But he answered a lot of questions. It was very awesome. So thank and you, I'm Mike. sure they knew the thank label. You. They did. Yeah, yeah they really knew your label, artists. Who, they really they, throw out a few of your artists so we can uh, bait some of the people to keep on listening. The, uh, let's see. On the Fuel Boy Ramen side, it would be uh, Paramore, 21 Pilots, uh, Panic at the Disco, Young the Giant, uh, Front Bottoms. We had a lot of Front Bottoms fans there, which was cool. Mm -hmm. um, Jersey Zone. And then uh, on the Roadrunner side, it would be Slipknot, Kill Switch Engage, um, Amity Affliction, Harder. Um, there's a couple of new ones. Do you ones. have Rush? We um, used to have Rush. You don't um, have Rush anymore. I don't know that we technically don't have Rush anymore. They have no plans to make any new music. Right. And so, um, I think they're technically signed, but it's very unclear. I, no, we really don't have Rush anymore. <laughs> they're on the website. No one but does. It's, yeah. It's like retiring their well, number. Well, they retired kind of. touring, I think, and yeah. now I don't think they're making, I don't, I don't know. So, um, I met Getty once, um, once I took over the label and could not have been a nicer guy, um, but definitely felt like he didn't need to deal with any record company people anytime soon moving forward. He's He's been doing enough years. He's had enough of that. <laughs> mm -hmm, right. So he's uh, but great band and great guys. Just don't think they're going to make any more new music. Right. Right. Okay. Right. We should. Well, we'll come back to Mike Easterlin. Okay. okay. We have a couple things we should... Uh, Mentioned you listened to the World is Ours. That was the Allie Mack project. That was our intro theme, and she, we're still happy to have her. And you should go follow up uh, on our newsletter, musicbiz101wp.com. Sign up. It's a Sunday newsletter. You get all the info you need about the biz. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, the Instagram, at musicbiz101wp. And, of course, this is being recorded as we speak. This will be a podcast that you'll find on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Thanks again to Bianca Russa, our producer. We also want to give thanks to the Music Biz Association. Yes, our remote shows are coming sooner than we think. I know. We are just a couple months away from yeah. going to Nashville, Tennessee. Music Biz is going to the Music City, and we're going to be there uh, for the Music Business Association convention, and we will be uh, bringing students with us and doing a whole bunch of shows and interviewing people like Mike Easterlin. Mm -hmm. And a bunch of the students are going to be. It's going to be an awesome networking experience for them. And, and then, we are able to bring students because of the generosity of... The generosity of the folks at Van Dyne Bruno Inc. and White Hat Management. Because, Steve, with artists like Charlie Puth, Dave Matthews, Sharon Jones, the Dap Kings, and Kiss... There's only one place to go for your band's business management. Go to vb-cpa.com when you are ready. All right. And it's not about me. It's not when I'm ready. It's when you are ready. 
Don't go now. Go at the right time for you. But but did somebody and else gave us some? That's something. right. We also want to give thanks to Christine Vey, who is a wealth manager and the president of Vey Wealth Management. Christine has helped many of our professionals at William Patterson to manage their investments and plan out their retirement. If you are looking, Michael, yes, if you are looking for some guidance on how to plan your retirement. You're president of two labels, so you must make at least $25,000 per label. Mm-hmm. So you, you, you've got a five-figure salary happening there. If you're looking, Michael, <laughs> for some guidance on how to plan for your retirement or have questions of, on anything from investments and portfolio management, man, it's the first time I've read this live, Geneva. Very Don't make fun of me. Job. Portfolio management to insurance and retirement planning. Give Christine, who we said is Christine Vay, give her a call, 732 1510 Mm-hmm. I was told long ago, Mike, when I was in sales with Polygram Video, mm-hmm. when I was leaving a, a voicemail for somebody to try to sell them something, don't say 732-455-1510, which you ever get a voicemail and somebody's leaving your number and you keep hitting, we go back it. and I can't hear what you're saying. It's mm-hmm. too Five fast. times. Yeah. yeah. So I say very slowly, Christine Bay's phone number, 732-455. Then I said 1510. Kind of switched it up. You see what I did there, Mike? Yeah, I see. Mm-hmm. You, um, you you put a 15 and then a 10. Yes. As opposed to a 1.5 and a one Yes, zero. that's what right. I did. did. I that. kind of see? switched the thinking in the brain. Right. We're taking up listeners' time now. And that's all. Those are all the thanks. I think okay. we can get right into our guests. Should I give the brief bio, or do you want to do it yourself? No, you do can it. do it, certainly. Well, just uh, Mike has a radio background. This is what's very interesting, because we had Joe Riccatelli on a little while. Do you know Joe? I know Joe very well. Okay, mm-hmm. Joe is a grad of William Patterson, graduated in 85, and he was a communications major here. We had him on back in October. Similar background to you in terms of radio. He, You, you were a music director at Y90, Y95 right. in yes. Dallas. Did they say, did they say so what, hey? You really were... dug deep for that. Um, yeah. <laughs> And then a program director in Charlotte, and then ended up on a morning show uh, with a guy who recently passed away, but he had a syndicated morning show. His name was Kid Craddock, and produced his show for two years. Um, phenomenal talent, and uh, recently away, like two years ago. But the most amazing thing about him is that his show lives on. It's still called The Kid Craddock Show. Oh. They have the highest ratings they've ever had, but Kid's not there. It's just his entire team that which says a lot about Kid and the team he built because they've been yeah. able to carry on without him. So amazing guy, and um, and I miss him. He's a good friend. And that mm-hmm. was in Charlotte, you said? That was actually back in Dallas. Oh, that was Dallas. That was first in Dallas. It was Dallas. back in Dallas, okay. yeah. And then you also did radio promotion. <clears throat> you had gigs at Virgin, Island Def Jam, Lava, and Roadrunner. And I guess when you were at Island Def Jam, that's where you met Julie Greenwald, mm-hmm. we talked about earlier. And that's how you went. Now, is that how you ended up going to Roadrunner and... Uh, fueled by ramen because of Julie, or you went there? It's a really lengthy and funny story, but I'll do the short version of it. Um, I had made a decision, kind of a lifestyle decision, to move to Dallas um, and go back and do regional promotion again, Um, and the movers were actually there. And I had a three-year-old and one-year-old, and my whole family's there, so we Mm -hmm. were just kind of, my wife and I consciously decided we wanted to go back home. And uh, she called while the movers were there. And they were literally wrapping the couch in cellophane. She said, I can't hear you. Can you step outside? I said, well, I am told you I'm not lying. I'm moving. <laughs> she said, please don't move. I want you to take over head of promotion for our, our radio. We're starting a second radio promotion department, and I'd like you to run it, which was all I ever wanted to do was run a promotion department. Mm-hmm. So my poor wife, 
who couldn't be there while we were moving out of our beautiful home that she loved was at the Yankee game, drinking beer in the first row. <laughs> and uh, I called her and I said, funny thing just happened, Julie called. And I have an interview tonight with our other chairman, Craig Kalman. And uh, they asked me to pull aside some nice clothes and don't let them move those. And they literally just loaded our Jeep onto the truck to take it away. So I had one car there. And uh, I went and interviewed with Craig that night. Amazing individual. Um, started Big Beat. Very smart man. I've worked with him now for over 10 years. And um, then I interviewed with Julie on Friday. Then I don't know if you wanted me to go this much into the story. But I, uh, we had a going away party. Uh, I'll never forget it, where about 20 of our friends got together to throw us a going-away party. Well, we didn't want to cancel it because I hadn't accepted the job yet, and plus <laughs> everybody was already coming into the city. And I'll never forget my poor wife, her best friend, got up and started giving a toast and started bawling. And my <laughs> wife leaned over and said, we're going to hell. <laughs> and I said, yes, we are. Uh, but I interviewed throughout that weekend and never actually went to – I was taking a job with Columbia Records. Uh, has Charlie Walk ever been here? No, no, we haven't had Charlie. He's at Republic, now, he's at Republic right? Records yeah, right. now, but Charlie gave me a job to go down there, and um, and yeah, so he, I, I ended up not going. Called mm -hmm. him on Monday and said, "Funny thing happened. I never actually left New, the New York area to go to Dallas." Then we moved in with friends. Eventually, got our furniture back from the movers, and <laughs> the rest is history. And so, yeah, that's how I, I ended up back with Julie. She called me while the movers were there and said, "Stop, don't go." Timing is everything. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. That was down to the wire. So radio prepared you to be president of a label? I don't know about that. Um, you know, I I think I've always had a, a great amount of pride in managing people. Um, mm -hmm. And when John Janik, who started Fuel by Ramen, left to go to Interscope, they were kind of caught somewhat off guard, Julian mm -hmm. Craig and... And I had worked with all of the bands that were with the label on the radio promotion side. So yeah. they just kind of said, can you jump into this and kind of keep the train moving down the tracks? We don't know what we're going to do yet, um, but we'll make you the general manager. And just kind of, you know, we have a very young staff. Um, we were talking about this over dinner a little while ago. We have a very young staff, very talented and young staff, but um, they're young and they need direction and, and more than anything, they really needed a little bit of stability at that moment. John had started the label, had built it into this great brand and then all of a sudden mm -hmm. was gone. And so they kind of needed me more for stability. Um, and they had always appreciated how I ran my promotion staff and managed them. So it was more of kind of a, uh, a manage the situation role to begin with. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that it would eventually become a bigger role but I just kind of embraced it and, mm -hmm. and ran with it mm -hmm. and, and loved it. Mm -hmm. Was the um, the idea of, of that label, was it always what it evolved to be? In other words, when it started, when John started it and so on. Yeah, I think I think he built a website um, and hit, hit the market at a time and was doing things that were very kind of revolutionary when it came to the digital space and how to, how to use online and really... Um, educate people about bands, and and he also created kind of a kind of a a scene um, by specifically having a lot of very similar bands that all kind of blended really well together and could could complement each other. And mm -hmm. you know, we talked about this in the class earlier. Take other bands out, and they would kind of all m mold very well together. Um, the problem when I took it over that I was finding as I started talking about other bands potentially coming over was that. 
we had kind of pigeonholed uh, the label into this kind of scene label mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. i don't know that people were looking at us like well that's that's not really what you guys do you know they would look at me and say we're not really a scene band i'd say but i don't want a scene band i i want i want to kind of figure out what the next scene is and and i think at that point the scene had changed so much anyway um it had gotten much heavier bless you and got much heavier and and um and it was just a different world and so it was time to reinvent the label and um it wasn't like I came in and just said, "I'm gonna, you know, I'm. It's now mine. I'm gonna go change everything." Clear, it, huh? the, the, it was kind of the 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 business was dictating where the label needed to go. It needed to kind of freshen itself up a little bit and kind of not be so trapped in this kind of small little mm -hmm. world that we were we were trapped into. We needed to kind of grow a little bit. I said in the class earlier, I thought maybe at one point we probably grew a little too wide mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. but i really feel great about the roster now and i think i think everybody fits really well together even though it's it's n they're not all kind of same bands at this point yeah we had i think um maybe about two three years ago there was an article about how if you're on that label then there's no competitive spirit among the bands you sort of somebody will open up for someone else and someone will talk about how their merch is doing something and so on. And it's a, a wonderful feeling uh, because the competition, of course, beyond the label is, is ridiculous. Uh, but sort of that, that's a culture, you know, that the label really has to, I think, create for the artist to feel so comfortable that they don't have to um, assume that that artist is getting more attention than I'm getting and so on. Yeah, well, I think... I think I still kept John's idea of the culture in that it's still a very limited roster. Yeah. Um, it's still a very small group of people that work with it. You know, almost everybody, I think everybody on the staff has every band's cell phone number. You know, mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. everybody, it's it's not uncommon for, you know, Haley Williams to call our head of digital, Tim, directly and have a conversation about, I really like to adjust this, I like to adjust this, whereas... When you're in certain labels, it becomes kind of artist calls manager, manager then calls yep. so-and-so. Yep. I think we tried to create an atmosphere where um, the artist feels like they're part of a family a little bit. Yep. And, and that was something that John built early on with kind of the very similar type bands that all played really nice yeah. together. Right. Um, the interesting thing when you say that is that I actually think there might have been a little more competition then because they were all kind of fighting for the same spot. Mm -hmm. We now have bands like the Front Bottoms or Young the Giant that are nothing like, um, you know, Paramore or Panic at the Disco. So they're not really fighting for the same spot. So I mm -hmm. think in, in, a, in a certain way, we've lost a little bit in kind of the one attracting another attracting another but i said in the, in in the class earlier our youtube pay uh, our youtube subscriber base has never been bigger mm -hmm. so i don't think we've gotten hurt by the fact that we don't have a lot of like bands at this point i think I, in fact i think the broadening of the label has brought in people to feel by ramen that probably never thought they'd be subscribing to a feel by ramen channel mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. especially like a front bottoms fan or a, a young the giant fan i mm -hmm. think we've mm -hmm. You brought a lot of people aboard that I probably wouldn't have been there. Right. Was. So does A&R look for any particular type or any hole to fill 
in terms of in the roster or or what? Or is it just run in and say, you got to sign this band. This is the greatest thing. I think, um, well, we, we have a very unique situation in that I'm overseeing two specific kind of labels. One yeah. leans very active, very metal, um, and definitely gears towards a, ter- a, a certain sound. And yeah. we're, trying to, we're trying to figure out kind of what that next sound's going to be and kind of get on the front end of where the new bands are coming from in that world. Because it's dropped off a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but because Roadrunner for a while lost its way, we were able to kind of reinvent it and do whatever we wanted with it, and we're lucky to be under the umbrella of Atlantic. So Julie and Craig have been incredibly patient while we've tried to make this kind of turn with the label and take it into a, a, a new space, um, which is, you know, we didn't, we got off course in a way that we we really weren't developing bands for a few years. And mm-hmm. so we're now playing a little bit of catch up when it comes to the artist development phase of, of quite a few of these bands. Mm-hmm. On the on the fuel by ramen side it's it's definitely um it's a different kind of mentality that goes into it because we do have big bands that that consume a lot of space as far as our day-to-day workload and then we have our baby that's consume equally as much space but it's from a different perspective of mm-hmm. kind of how do we develop these how do we get them bigger how do we grow them and and you can't have too many of those and you can't have too many of the big boys or something's going to suffer the little guys are going to get swallowed up by the big guys or we're going to spend a lot of time trying to break these baby things and something's going to get missed on this side so and because we're such a small staff really the roster has to main remain small um i was i was doing an analogy the other day and this is going to sound really insensitive to anybody who's in a band because it's it's not really the way i look at it because i don't look at them as like a basketball team but i did almost say i can't have too many rookies at the end of the bench uh-huh. and i can't have you know not everybody can score i gotta have somebody to pass the ball you know yeah and so it, it really is almost a basketball mentality of of when we're looking at bands right now specifically because we're kind of at capacity what is our real need mm-hmm. do we if we if if a band walked in the door that maybe hasn't had a big hit in a while but definitely has a touring base and has a lot of the underneath that we won't have to do so much heavy lifting. Is that something that would look more appealing to us to kind of take somebody who's been there before and try to put them back there again? Yeah. That's kind of where I feel like we are right now. I feel yeah. like we've got really big bands and really high profile bands. Um, and then I think we have the right amount of babies that need a lot of nurturing and a lot of t- it's a lot of time to break mm-hmm. a band. And mm-hmm. it's just, I just don't think we can have. Um, I don't think we could have a really super big boy right now, um, and I don't think we could take another. We're really in a really good spot when you think about the roster. We're, we've got a really good balance. Right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. When, when you say a lot of time for a baby band, <clears throat> time in both ways, like on a day-to-day basis, it takes up a lot of time during the day, plus it takes up calendar-wise more more time because you're breaking a band. <clears throat> yeah, it's, it's, it's all of that. It's financially. Um, you can't... You, you can only have so many that you're kind of you're you're not hemorrhaging money because you're never overspending on on young acts and developing acts hopefully um but because we are a a label that prides itself in artist development that can mean two to three records before we really see it develop into something depending on how much they actually had going on when we signed them and in the case of like a couple of them they're they're babies um and that's that's a lot of time and a lot of heavy lifting, a lot of tour support, which 
which can get costly and it can add up really quickly. Um, most of our bands know how to travel smart, but it doesn't matter if you're out on the road. If you get a five-week tour to open for somebody, you're not going to say no. You're just going to have to figure out financially how to make it work. Um, you know, we need to... It is a content world now, so it's not like you used to, sh you know, you ship a song to radio and shoot one video and then everybody's happy and it goes mm -hmm. on TRL. And mm -hmm. Does everybody remember TRL? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it wasn't <laughs> too long ago. Um, and it goes on that and then all of a sudden it takes a lot more to, to cut through now, so that means multiple pieces of content. So that means you're spending a lot of money there. Even if, you know, even if they're $2,000 videos, they add up, you know, mm -hmm. so especially when a band's really not selling any records to start out, so... You can get upside down with a baby act very quickly. So not only from the standpoint of the time that it takes, the finance, the financial side of it as well, you know, you've got to have something, you know, these other bands in, in some ways have to keep the lights on while yeah, these other bands yeah. can develop. And, and as I said in the, in the thing, or, you know, in the, in the classroom earlier, it's no different than when they started and they were a baby act and somebody was keeping the lights on for them. So, mm -hmm. you know, it, it, Hopefully every band always looks back and says, I remember when, you know, so-and-so was really selling records and I was just this little guy begging the label to let me mm -hmm. go on mm -hmm. this next tour. And so it, it's a balancing act on, on every level. So um, you need the right ratio of new bands to established bands so that you can have the money coming in to pay for the stuff that's not, not making money yet. And then as they grow, that you can sign more younger bands because those earlier younger bands get can are making some more money to help pay for yeah and and i hate to make it all about financial because it's really it, it isn't i think when you sign a band you go into it knowing you're losing so if if you're going to decide to make you know to make that decision to to do it i think you go in with the idea that it's you get lucky if mm -hmm. if you make any money off of them in the in the early going um and then i think I, it's a bandwidth issue. It's it's really how much time can you spend? And and you know we talked about the idea of when do you when do you let a band go, um, and when do you just say that it's just it's taking up too much bandwidth, and we just can't put the time and the effort into this because it's just not showing any sparks. Mm -hmm. And it's a difficult thing. You know I I like to think that we we keep in the game. As long as things feel like they're moving, even if they're small little victories, with a baby act, they're big victories. And so I think mm -hmm. we, I think we pride ourselves in staying in the game, and continuing to spend and continuing to put the time and the energy and the effort and the hours in to continue and try to break the band. It's when, when we just, you know, it's a tough decision when you mm -hmm. just don't mm -hmm. see it developing, and, especially when there's no excuse, like. The lead singer leaves or somebody's strung out or something and you have sort of an excuse to say, well, we've been thinking about letting them, cutting them loose anyway. And this, But when they're really trying and and there and they're looking at you with, you know, almost like with the kid's eyes mm -hmm. with those little uh, uh, tears almost ready to come down their face when they know, you know, that you're sort of hanging on and helping them out but uh it's oh, I've, left, I've left meetings where they went we thought you were coming here to drop us yeah and it's it it affects you emotionally because it's really that that moment where you don't look at it as like a basketball team or a yeah. roster it yeah. really comes down to human beings and the toughest conversations are those and um 
You know, I, I always say this to the staff, as long as we can look ourselves in the mirror and say we really feel like we woke up every day and tried to figure out how to crack the code and we just couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. And they're not all hits, unfortunately, and yeah. they're, they're not all big bands. And, you know, you take a shot on them and you invest a lot of money into it. And at some point you just have to say, we just can't, we can't keep doing this. And, and again, it's not always the financial, it's just the this is sucking a lot of time out of us and it's not really, we're not really seeing anything from it. And it, mm. it's a tough decision to make, mm-hmm. but sometimes it has to be. Well, Marconi, what, what is the, the stat in terms of a uh, percentage of records that get released every year that don't make? Well, like- the last time I was privy to get this information was 2011 when there was still sales and a few things blew my mind. The first thing was... That, oh, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> that uh, there was a point of purchase, too, stuff, in, the, yeah. in those days. Yeah. That, uh, according to Nielsen, over 850,000 titles sold at least one copy in 2011. That, that blew my mind. And the figures that I was using was, let's say you're conservatively into a label for $200,000. And for a big label, that's conservative. And let's say you were getting a buck an album. So roughly you needed to sell 200000 So you then look down the list of sales to see how many sell 200000 and the in, which we would consider the break-even point. And the, the statistic was something like 0.003% of those 850,000 records. Yeah. And you, then if you go to platinum, you see there's five platinum and you know, there's 29 gold out of 850,000. Yeah. Uh, if you're in it for the money, then you should be mowing lawns or doing <laughs> something else. Making money, you're very slim, but it's the arts. And we're in the arts. I always say, you know, the, art cho- the arts choose us. We don't choose the mm-hmm. arts and we just have to have to do it. But and I, yeah, I asked you that question because from a label perspective, do you have any idea of what your ratio is in terms of albums that you, you know, we have 25 acts on a roster or this year we're going to put out 20 albums. Um, what do we expect? How many of those do we expect to do well and, you know, make money on and how many are we not? I guess your, your finance guys are, must have some projections as to how that is. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's low. Mm-hmm. It is. It's a, it's a low percentage. Yeah. And then you've got, you know, um, how do I how do I put this out there? And then you've got bands that are used to doing things in a certain way um, that are very that are like it's still ten years ago and you're still selling records like they were. And it's not it's not for any fault of theirs that they it's just the world that we're living in now where it's becoming a streaming world and we're not making the same kind of dollars on streaming and we're in this horrible kind of transition phase of the education of streaming which people are you know still scared to death of the idea and then you tell them it's nine bucks a month and you can get whatever you want and then it's like i don't know why you wouldn't do that (laughs) but um and and we can really start making money when we get the numbers up into the millions and millions of people that are actually paying for streaming there's a responsibility to the streaming services too to to do away with free sooner than later um and that's a whole discussion point that keeps going on and on because um, you're going to have to take the blanket away at some point and say you're going to have to pay for this. And if you, if your product is really as good as you think it is, then then people are going to 
people are going to want it and and want to continue to use it and and it's a tough thing to kind of know that you've got all these numbers but so many of them are on free um but getting back to the band thing so you know when you've got a band that's so used to making three hundred thousand dollar videos but we're not in the three hundred thousand dollar video world anymore and so and worst case scenario is is actually in their contract and so I don't really have a choice. Yeah. And I'm selling half the records I used to sell on them. Do I not put the records out? They're still mm -hmm. selling half a million records. It's yeah. great, but they're spending money like they're selling a million or two million. And yeah. so yeah. there's only a handful of those still, but they do exist, and they make it really difficult to make money on those things. Mm -hmm. um, but again, we, you know, we talked about the 360 situation. I think it's something that scares the hell out of every band. But then when you start to put the finances in front of the band and explain to them how hard it is for a record company to actually make money these days mm -hmm. and how touring um, and merch can actually help keep us in the game, well, you're maybe not finding that big hit song, mm -hmm. you know, because... If you get so upside down with a band and you're not, you don't have any other kind of revenue streams and you're not selling records, it gets really hard to, to look at the balance sheet and constantly see it go more and more minus. Um, and then how long can you stay in that game with nothing else showing a sign of life? And, and there's been stories of bands that did really well on merch that just the, we couldn't crack the code on the music, but mm -hmm. the merch kept them, kept us in the game. It's mm -hmm. just a reality. Mm -hmm. Um, and and it helps bring down their unrecouped amount so that they're not so far upside down to the record company yeah, and and these are all things that that are are like frowned on from from bands but there's nothing worse than being in a band and getting one or two songs in and then having a label drop you when eight months earlier you were all high-fiving and doing shots yeah. at a bar because you got signed yeah and so exactly. for us for me whenever I talk to a band about a 360 situation where you know, we never want to take money where they're not making money. It's it's all about the idea of we can put you in arenas, let us let us you know take part in that. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> but it, it it's also about that those early days of like if we've got any kind of revenue coming in, even if it's a T-shirt and we get two bucks on it, it's two bucks more than we were making. You know, mm -hmm. it, it's it's hard to explain to a kid that's in a rock band that's making his music and feels like oh the mighty record company wants to own me. Right. And and it's not really that. It's about trying to stay in the game and trying to be able to justify the continuing spend money and giving you tour support and letting you go out and tour and tour and tour while we're just hemorrhaging money. And it's part of the game. We yeah. knew it when we got into it, but it doesn't mean we have to like just be silly about it and keep spending and spending. So it keeps you motivated for record two and record three as long as you have other things developing. Um, and in the case of 21 Pilots, we could see everything else developing before the record part did. Mm -hmm. Now the record part, thank God, is amazing. But, um, and we didn't even take money on stuff that we were able to take from them, but mm -hmm. because they were putting it all back into what they were doing. So it's not like we don't want to take money from people or from bands when they're not making money. That's not what the idea of mm -hmm. a 360 deal mm -hmm. is about. It's about if we get you to a certain level, let's all participate in the fact that we were successful as 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 a team, as a partnership. So. Yeah, I think I think what uh, Don Henley and those guys, and I think Sh uh, Cheryl Crow is saying too that okay, you took a chance on us, and we've proven that we sell records. So is it time now that we become a real partner instead of the 
10%, 12% of retail contract that we have. And I think that's a legitimate point at, at that point in time when they are proven revenue streams for the label as well as themselves that, yeah, you know, the a, a better partnership would make probably them very happy and actually maybe even more into wanting to contribute more. So. Yeah, from a record company standpoint, for a band like that, it makes total sense to be in probably a 50-50 partnership yeah. because they're putting up their own money as well to, to finance. And when you've got bands that are used to traveling, um, you know, if you want to do anything with Don Henley or the Eagles, you, to move them, you know, it's handlers, it's yeah. first class everywhere, it's yeah. Four Seasons Hotel, you know, yeah. they don't... Yeah. They're not. They're not going back to the Holiday Inn Express. <laughs> so, for them to understand and to participate in kind of that cost makes total sense. And 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 it's really the only way to get into a deal with a band like that yeah. because it's just the only way anybody can make any money. We'll lose our tail on the idea of trying to even market it or promote it because it's just so costly to market. Mm -hmm. And I, and I went through that with with Roadrunner when we signed this label Loud and Proud and we started working with some older bands like Leonard Skinner and stuff. And, you know, Leonard Skinner doesn't have the career of the Eagles, but they travel on a few tour buses. They're used to a certain lifestyle. Mm -hmm. They've been doing it a really long time. I would certainly not be the one to ask them to go back. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's a better deal for everybody to kind of understand this is the finances and what it looks like. And if you guys want to spend your money this way and you want to go stay at the Four Seasons, it's your, mm -hmm. it's your prerogative. It's your mm -hmm. money, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's, those type of deals make more sense for bands like that. Yeah. It, you know, the thing that's a little difficult to listen to um, when you listen to the older bands now is kind of how the record business is screwed and and they're taking everything from the artists. But mm -hmm. they they came out in a much different time yeah. than we're in now. And we they were selling these really nice vinyl pieces for, you know, $12, $10 a piece or whatever, or $8 right. or whatever they were right. then. And, and they were selling a lot of them. <laughs> and, and we're not. And so it's just a different, and until streaming really catches up, we're going to continue to hurt. Um, mm -hmm. The percentages we get paid aren't great, and there aren't enough people paying for it. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, if you be... look at uh, like, uh, Digital Music News and you read some of the articles there, uh, it's all, it seems like every single person who reads those articles, when they talk about uh, this guy or that guy just released how much he made from streaming on Spotify and from Pandora and all that. Mm -hmm. you know, I, I had 10 million streams and I made $100. Mm -hmm. And everybody blames the label. And I think it's really important that you do the education, which you're sort of talking about, in terms of you, you shouldn't blame Spot. I'm sorry, they blame Spotify. You shouldn't blame Spotify for the situation where the industry is in that you're not making money because, first of all, Spotify doesn't pay you. The label pays you. So what is your relationship with with your label? And you guys, it's funny because consistently, Steve, have you seen this um, from Paul Sinclair to you to uh, Dan Goldberg, all the people who we know and talk to at the, at the Warner Music Group, any affiliation, you guys are like so down to earth. Uh, yeah. Like you guys are like, it, it, it's very consistent, you know, that you guys have, I don't know if they tell you this is what you're supposed to say to the press because we're like the press, but, but you guys are, are like real about where it, it is a partnership. It is a true partnership yeah, we, and we need to work like we that. We brought this up at a conference a couple of weeks ago in uh, in Pennsylvania Right. that if a label or an organization like Warner Music is putting their money where their mouth is and they're creating these companies within the company that are doing specific things for the band, Mm -hmm. then you should partnership with them mm -hmm. instead of 
what you read that, you know, label X wants all this money and they've never done it. They've never been in touring. They've never been in merch, you know, mm -hmm. and so on. But when we get from Warner, even when we visited Atlantic, mm -hmm. well, at Warner that day, you know, that there is a, there is a, a consistent effort, it looks like, throughout the organization that we're there to help you. We're spending our money to create these companies or these departments to help you and get good at it. And this is why you should, you know, um, partner with us. And Julie said that when she was here. She, you know, said you, you would be a fool not to partner with me. And, of course, a lot of people grumbled. But in the sense of the way I just described it, you would be a fool not to partner with them. Well, I I think so. And, obviously, I'm, I'm biased when it comes to Julie. She's been uh, my mentor, and she's done the world for me in my career. So mm -hmm. I, I'm – but I think – I think when you talk about the atmosphere of Warner Music Group, first off, we're the smallest of the of of the major, you know, companies, and so there's a little bit of an underdog mentality there. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that it starts at the top with Julie and Craig, and they both have very open door policies. Um, rarely will you get shushed away um, from Julie. Uh, Julie, you know, I think takes a tremendous amount of pride in that she rides in coach. She doesn't ride in. You know, mm -hmm. she's the chairman of a major label, and she rides in coach. And she, mm -hmm. she really believes that in the idea of um, I, how do I dictate? This is how we need to run our business, and this is this, this is how we need to be smart about our business. If if uh, if I'm not going to go and do the exact same yeah. thing, and by example, <clears throat> right. she leads by example exactly. And and I think she's handed that kind of mentality down to all of you know. We've all been together for a while. We're very fortunate that we. The management team's been the same management team for a while, and mm -hmm. I think it's because, you know, there's kind of a, a, a no a, no DB rule. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. You know, can I say douchebag? Yeah. Right. <laughs> I did. Um, there's a no do, a DB rule, you know. It's kind of <laughs> like um, come in every day and treat people how you want to be treated, and I think mm -hmm. it starts with Julie and Craig, and, and, mm -hmm. and um and I've learned a tremendous amount about how to manage people from, from Julie and um, – and she's just really fair, and she's very down to earth. Mm -hmm. um, she's also uh, intense and very competitive, mm -hmm. and hates to lose, and hates to see the artist lose. Mm -hmm. So she, you know, you talk about the streaming services and things like that. She's in, you know, she's in major battles with all of them every day because, um, you know, the fees she feels needs to get better. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you could get mad at the streaming services, but at the same time, we negotiated the deals early on. And so maybe we didn't understand what we were buying. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. now it's now it's time to get back in there and talk about it. And I think everybody wants to come come to a good place on it. And I think at the end of the day, it really is, you know, yes, it's about us getting paid. We don't work for nothing. But it, it's about the artists getting paid, what they should be getting mm -hmm. paid. And those numbers that you're hearing are not made up. They're ridiculously low numbers. Mm -hmm. Um and it's just she's in there fighting every day for the artist, and it's she's an amazing mm -hmm. person that way. Well, speaking Geneva, of the artist, do you agree? Oh yeah. Hmm? Well, Geneva was an intern. Geneva right was near was. Julie. I definitely agree, hundred percent. The really? fact that I could pass her in the hallway and she would actually say hi to me is. Yeah, that's good. Test of her character. That's great. Geneva's going to read our first tweet question of the night. There's for a you. tweet question. We have many tweets that we have to Oof. get to for you. 
All right. This one comes from at Matt Schindel. He wants to know, just as labels look for desirable qualities in their artists, what are some qualities artists should look for in their label? Um, <clears throat> I, you know, I, I try to, I try to be very transparent when I talk to artists, um, about signing. I try to be very transparent about, um, our belief in, in, you know, the ugly word, the 360 thing. I think it's a conversation specifically and really within all of Warner music group, but with FBR and with Roadrunner, every band has that deal. So we, we kind of have to be consistent and I can't have, you know, I can't have one band pointing at another band. So it's a, it's kind of a conversation that always has to be had. Um, it, it isn't, you know, not all deals are cut the same and they're, they're not ever, everything's treated, um, the same, but, but we try to figure out a fair way to, to talk, to have those discussions. But I think, and I think through that, I think people, at least when they deal with me or deal with Julie, they get a, a very honest view of, of what it is because we kind of don't pull punches on it. And, um, um, Besides that, I think that you have to look at the track record of the label and how much they've really committed to the idea of artist development. I, you know, said this earlier, you were you were in there. There are labels that go out and try to find great singles and sell a bunch of singles, and um, they make a ton of money doing it, and they're really good at it, and they look great on the top 40 chart every year, and they get great chart share, and it all looks great, um, but you couldn't name 10 artists on the label because mm -hmm. you don't really know who the artists are you know what the songs are and so for us i think and and i think this is what you were alluding to about the 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 overall energy of warner music group it really is an artist development from the top to the bottom um we take a tremendous amount of pride in it and and um i'm in a very fortunate position in that i i kind of have the you know i have the big label of atlantic records that that um in, in some ways protect me to be able to take a few more shots on mm -hmm. things and stick in things a little bit longer because I'm not under the gun all the time as a lot of independent standalone labels would be. And I believe me, I look at it every day and I feel very fortunate that I'm in that situation because, um, and that's not taking anything away from those other, I, I think the other independents um, do, are doing an amazing job for not having the tools that I have. I'm I'm so lucky that I don't, come in every day wondering like if I don't sell this many 21 pilots mm -hmm. how am I going to continue to you know work with vinyl theater like I, mm -hmm. I don't know I have to come I don't have to come in I have to make money for our company but mm -hmm. I don't have to come in every day like with a with a gun to my head going I don't know how I can work with this band anymore because I can't fund it you know mm -hmm. so I'm in, I'm in a really really fortunate situation I, th I think also uh, I think you would agree that Bands should look for depth in interest too, not just one A and R guy is crazy about them, mm -hmm. you know. And then, but the promo promo guy will walk right past them, and so on. There has to be that depth of of interest mm -hmm. in the band for the band to actually um, be successful. Yeah, well, I think I think we're really fortunate that that we have a small group of people that work specifically yeah. on each label every day. But then we have this amazing machine upstairs of Atlantic Records. And sure. when we bring bands into the building, we tend to do like we tend to do the two visit rule, which is let's let's not freak out by showing them big Atlantic Records upstairs that may scare <laughs> the hell out of them. Let's keep them in our nice little corner and kind of let them just meet the people 
it's a very intimidating thing for a band to yeah. come into. They all act really bad when they're on stage and when they're writing their music yeah, right. and they walk in looking great and all that. But man, they get in there and they see everything and it's it's like the lights of Broadway just hit them. It doesn't hurt that we're right on Broadway, but right. you know, they walk in and they're just like it's it's it can be overwhelming. Yeah. And so what I think we try to do initially is really um I try not to make it let it feel very meeting. And I try to make it where they kind of stay contained to our little world until I feel like I've got them to a comfortable place. Now, our mm. buildings have made, did you take yeah. it to, I mean, we have state-of-the-art recording studio yeah, in there. Now, is. there's so many tools for artists that we didn't used to have in our last building right. that it's impressive to show. But it can also be feel very corporate and very overwhelming mm. Mm -hmm. if we don't do it at the right time. So, yeah, I think initially it is about kind of creating this comfort for them. And then we slowly let them see the rest of the right. magic of the big machine. Next tweet for you. All right. This one comes from at Christina Rigg. She wants to know, is it difficult to run two labels at the same time? And what are some of those difficulties? Uh, time probably is the toughest thing. I have um, a really good staff that runs, that oversees both. And in a lot of ways, um, they're working on both labels. It, it started out as two completely separate staffs, and over the course of the last four years, it's kind of morphed into um, just the way things have worked out into um, the two kind of working together. The thing that I do like about that, and then I'll get back to your question, is that, you know, Fuel by Ramen was always this amazing online and social monster as a brand, um, and I felt like Roadrunner could have been that same thing. We were just doing a few things wrong the way we were doing them in the past. So what we did was basically put our head of the Fuel by Ramen side in charge of the Roadrunner side. So we put a lot of the best practices in place for the, on the Roadrunner side as well. And it's absolutely paid off our YouTube channel on the Roadrunner side. It's never been better, bigger or better. Our, our website's never been better. It's cleaner. It's easy to navigate. There's like a lot of great things that came from kind of morphing the two staffs together. I think I can speak for the staff and I know for myself you know, when we were listening to music earlier, it's cool to be able to listen to a couple of really heavy things and live in the Roadrunner world for a little bit. And then I get to one hour later go into a meeting and hear more modern pop stuff. I don't ever get in a rut that way because yeah. I have two worlds that I get to live in all the time. And that's so, yes, it's exhausting. It's a lot of hours and it's a lot of shows because if a Roadrunner band is having isn't having a show, then a Fuel by Ramen band's having I'm constantly out. But I love the idea that I get to. And then dealing with the artists, they're so different um, that it's so interesting to deal with, like, a kill switch engage or a slipknot versus a paramour <laughs> or, a, you know, it's like totally different worlds, but it's so cool to exist in both of them. So that's the best part about it is I, it's never dull because it's always changing. Yeah. This next tweet comes from at Lisa Baby Nine. She wants to know: Do you feel a graduate degree in music business is needed to be successful? I don't have it, um, but <laughs> but look at you. But but you know, no, I, I don't know if it's I don't know if it's necessary to be successful. But um, you know, every bit of of education you can get before you get out there. I would 100% take advantage of you can you can always get out there and work and you can um, you can start the grind of the, of what it's going to take to get through this business you know this is my 
fourth year in the business, something like that. And I started as a regional person uh, doing promotion in Dallas and then had to move to L.A. and then to New York and then back to L.A. and then back to New York. And then I almost moved to Texas and didn't. <laughs> and then back to New York. And it's just <clears throat> it's been a lot of years and a lot of travel. And I, you know, I moved Dallas is my hometown. I moved away from there now 20 years ago. Um, I can't believe it's been 20 years, but I moved 20 years ago, and I don't regret a single bit of it, but it's been a lot of wear and tear and a lot of moving and a lot of hours in clubs and at shows, and it'll all still be there. So I would say stay in the education thing as long as you can or as long as you want to, and then, you know, get you've had an amazing internship uh, experience, I think, at the label, which was a really smart thing to do, and... um you'll find that shot somewhere and and you know as i've told everybody whatever that shot is even if you're what you want to ultimately do is a and r um, because you want to go find the next big band if they offer you a job in business affairs it's a foot in the door at the record company mm -hmm. once you're in the record company that's half the battle you can end up doing almost anything three people on my staff started in like as assistants that are now product managers running projects and stuff. Um, the girl that does all of the product managing for 21 Pilots and Paramore, who's got really high-profile bands, um, she started in the touring department, you mm -hmm. know, and, and I saw her, and she, she shined to me. I saw she was really smart, really understood all aspects of the business. So when I had that opening, I went and said, you ever thought about doing this? And she's been a star at it. Mm -hmm. Obviously, 21 Pilots has gone really well and Paramore, mm -hmm. so. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, we have to go to a quick break. Really? And then when we come back from the quick break, we have to run some public service announcements. These are announcements for the public, and it's a service to them. That's Hence the name. Like. Public service announcement. Got it. Sounds like a good band name. And then uh, when we come back, we will have one more tweet for you, which will be a treat. And then uh, Marconi will wrap it up with uh, about an hour and a half of jokes. So we'll be right back. Music Biz 101 and more. WPSC, Brave New Radio, 80.7. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening to Music Biz 101 and more. If you want to learn about the music industry and you don't know where to go, tune in to WP 88.7, Brave New Radio. We've got managers, producers, record labels, concert promoters galore. Wednesday at 8 p.m. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening to Music Biz 101 and more. All right, we are back. WPSC Brave New Radio 88.7. That, that was the fastest break in, in history. No, but, I mean the show. Oh, the show has flown by. The show yes. has been, we have been on a bird. We have been on the wings of love is what we've been Oh, and that's stupid. God, let's but, not, let's... <laughs> but I would like to say, because um, while we were on the break, Marconi was talking about this band he was in uh, called Jam Factory. And Correct. I want our, uh, our friend Michael Easterlin to know that tomorrow night. That's right. 
uh, Dr. Stephen Marconi, spelled with a PH as in not PhD, but he will be inducted. He and his band will be inducted into the Syracuse Area Music Awards Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame. He's a Hall of Fame. Holy smokes. Achievement after 45 years. Congratulations. Yes, Dr. Stephen Marconi of Champ Factory. Thank you. very big thing up in central New York. I mean, is I, that ceremony you, happening at the Carrier Dome? Or is it, no? <laughs> we only wish. Oh, no, okay. it's a dinosaur barbecue. Right? <laughs> Perfect. Even <laughs> better. Even better. I love dinosaur barbecue. And dinosaur barbecue. Perfect. And then uh, supposedly I wanted to be the Beatles and never regroup. But supposedly we're going to try to play one or two numbers after oh. 45 years. The next night at the, um, at the concert of everyone being inducted that... Uh, uh, tomorrow. Will Clive so, Davis be there tomorrow? Will he be? You know, this funny thing I'll tell you, I was teaching at Syracuse University and I was teaching this stuff and it was a psychologist that was interested in in sort of um, consumer behavior and records and all of that and his name was Clive Davis. Oh, really? I used to get down and say, you know you have a famous name, you know, anybody did he know? He's a psychologist. No <laughs> Where the... Will there be video of the performance? Well, I would assume there will be that we now. can see on the YouTube. Yeah, I would assume. <laughs> There's only it. one video of us right now. Um, we were on a Today Show actually in the early '70s. We were the first self-contained singing and playing band on the Today Show. They didn't know how to mic people playing and not have a singer in front or something. But the, but the singing and we took take after take after take. You know, because they back, they didn't cut in and. You know, it's already taped. And uh, they couldn't, the engineers couldn't get it right. And I think we started at 6 in the morning, you know, today's show and so on. And with, this was the very last take, and they were able to get it. So that's the only bit of uh, footage that we know of that so we were right before video that uh, is, you know, uh, on, it's on YouTube. I'll send you the link, Mike, because it's, it's pretty funny. <laughs> it's just... who, uh, do you remember who the hosts were? Yeah, it was Hugh Downs. Hugh Downs. That's wow. that early, yes. Wow. Yeah. Well, let us go to our final tweet. Oh, I and, wasted and time here, but that you pr- prompted it. Oh, yeah, no, it was wonderful oh, okay. hearing all about your uh, Syracuse well, next Area week Music will be Award. be better, won't it? Yeah, next week you could talk all about your experience. <laughs> of course, I can play the video the here on the radio. Barbecue. Yeah, we'll play the video <laughs> on the radio, which would be even more exciting. Radio. Final tweet of the night. <laughs> Geneva Gamblin, Ramblin' with Gamblin, give it a give it a go. All right, this last one comes from at Faith in My Heart. Wants to know, based on the interview earlier, do you think that relationships in the music business are extremely important important for today? Uh, relationships between is she referring to artist and label, or is I think she... more like the networking thing? Like, oh, um, yeah, I, I do. I think. Um... <sighs> Yeah, I you know there's some things that in the music business that I think are a little silly at this point. A few too many parties when we're not really making a ton of money, and then I still wonder why we're doing. But I think they're good <laughs> for networking, I guess. Um, I could do it at Dinosaur Barbecue, Dinosaur Barbecue, just as good, and it wouldn't cost <laughs> twice as much or right. half as much. And uh, but but no, I think it's necessary, and, and and I do think the relationships in the business are are great. Um, you know, I did twenty over twenty years of radio promotion, so I still have all of those uh, programmers that I beat up for years. That um, apparently I wasn't too bad because I'm still friends with. But yeah, they're amazing relationships, and it, and for me, it's still great when even though I don't do radio day to day anymore, to be still be able to call guys up and have conversations about our artist and 
Um, they like hearing from, from me more now because I'm not doing it every week and pounding on them. It's just really. But the relationships in the business are, are super important, just like any business. Um, and I think, and I'm really proud of the relationships with the artists and, and specifically my staff and, and our staff and, and the people that, that we work with. I think, you know, 21 Pilots um, did an interview like a, a year ago. And one of the proudest things that I read in the interview was they didn't really understand what a record company did, but now they totally appreciate what a record company does. And not only are they a great record company, referring to FBR, but they're a great family. And to have an artist actually talk about their record company that way sure. is pretty special. And yeah. it shows that we've developed a tremendous amount of trust in each other, and it's been a, an amazing team effort. So that relationship, and as well as every artist, is just super important. Mm. That's a great mm. answer. Yeah. So we have two minutes left. If we went to another question, we would run over. Mm. So Well, especially with me. I can with, talk. With the way you are. Oh. Are we going to play any... We don't even have time to play. On Maybe the way we could, out. On our way out. Our, Something our new that you New band that we signed, uh, yeah. Look Up uh, Floor. F-L-O-R. And the song Heart. We'll play that on the way out. How's that? Okay, great. And it's only F-L-O-R, not two O's, just because of budgets. You couldn't afford this. Correct. Second. We I, can't afford well, yeah, that I mean, to actually. Okay. Plus, we'd get sued by every floor ah, that we stand yeah, on. In yes. The, it's, it's time to horrible take a stand. Horrible joke. Right. So where's this band out of? They're originally from... Outside of Portland, Oregon, they now live in Los Angeles. Interesting story: the bass player, uh, his name's Dylan, produced um, six songs on the artist Halsey's record. Oh. Um, and uh, so he's an incredibly talented producer, and he produces all of their music. Mm -hmm. um, they write all their own stuff. Um, I found them through a, actually a, in you know a lot of the questions today were how do you find bands? This came through a booking agent that was booking another band and he happened to just sign this band to start booking them and he was like i've signed this band called flora you should check them out and i met them and it was just you know they're great right great band. Right. so right. why don't we are you gonna play that you can play that as we go out um final thing give one shout out because you signed a band and the lead singers from wyckoff Oh, Against the Current. Against the Current. What's mm -hmm. her name? Chrissy Costanza. Chrissy Costanza from Wyckoff, Wyckoff High School, because we had three girls in the room when Mike was here, and they all went to high school with him. Yeah. Oh, great. And now she's uh, signed Against the Current, and she played some stuff from them, and they were actually really good. Great. Yeah, thanks. So this is floor that we hear in the background. As we listen to this, I think it's time to give some thanks. So let us begin with Mike. Michael Thank Easterlin. You. Thank, Thank you. you. President of Two Ladies. Yes, great. FBR. Franklin, Bellinger, Roosevelt, and also uh, Roadrunner Records. So thank you for that. Thank we you. should thank our producer, Bianca Russo. Bianca Russo, the producer. Tremendous producer. We should thank Geneva Gamblin. Geneva. Thanks for bringing me back. Oh, it's like coming home almost. That's right, because you graduated in, in uh, December was your last class, right? So you're done yeah. and you're out there. MBA management. Music music management. William Patterson University. There we go. Give it one more, one more. Woo. That's it, that's it. Feel the enthusiasm, feel the burn, baby burn. And then we should thank Dr. Esteban Marconi. And of course, Professor David Kirk Philp. And that is our the RMC as usual. And I would like to thank all but of you for listening. next week we have as a guest. Doc Mickey, legendary. Oh, oh Doc God, Doc yes, this is going to be yeah. fun. I always say Doc should be a stand-up. He could be a stand-up comic. He really That's going to be great. He's going to be calling in from Nashville, so awesome. uh, which is where he lives. So that's going to be great. So uh, big guess. This is our biggest year ever. 
And we thank you again, Mike, for being here. Thanks for listening. Thanks to everybody who tweeted in a question. We do appreciate it. Make sure you go to musicbiz101wp.com center for that newsletter. Follow us on all the various social media platforms. And until we see you next week. Wait, and we're going out with? We are going out with the, the, out, the band Floor with a 1-0, and the song is called? Heart. Heart. Adios. <laughs>